like any journey, the whole thing is putting one foot in front of the other and, and not thinking about much else, right? You're climbing Everest. Yeah, yeah. It's one foot, you know, hopefully you have an oxygen tank. Um, you know, that's uh, just, just keep going. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 262 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, as a welcome, Mike McDermott, co-founder and CEO of FreshBooks. Now, I chatted to Mike, who was over in Canada at the time, whilst I was over here still in the UK, obviously. Um, but really enjoyed chatting with Mike, covered loads in this um, super interesting story, literally spent the first three and a half years growing fresh books from his parents' basement. But since launching in 2003, over 24 million people have used fresh books to save time billing and collecting billions of pounds and dollars. So as well as sharing this really inspirational entrepreneurial journey, Mike and I covered the seven ways he almost killed his company and how you can avoid doing something similar, why raising money doesn't solve all your problems, and why FreshBooks created a secret competitor company. Really interesting, really interesting guy. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Without further ado, screw it, just do it. Mike McDermott. How things been like since lockdown, um, and we're now coming up towards July. Um, how are things uh, for, for you guys over there? Well, I think um, I guess broadly speaking, you know, pleased to report most of Canada is on a good trajectory. Um, we're based in Ontario. Ontario is now it's one one of the provinces in Canada, and <clears throat> we represent uh, something like sixty percent of the cases that are happening now. Still, kind of some of the active uh, active spots remaining, but but um, you know, generally speaking, things are you know definitely headed in the right direction. The case counts are down in the hundreds daily now, um, mm. which is you know absolutely where you want, want them to be relative to you know where they were. Um, and so, I, you know, I think they're starting to progressively, you know, sort of open things up um, in, uh, you know, so families can congregate in groups of 10 and, you know, progressively they'll, 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 they'll move things along throughout the, uh, the summer, I expect. Mm, yes, it doesn't sound dissimilar to, to what's happening here, although the interesting thing is I spoke to my, my mother who lives in Cardiff in Wales um, and, and Wales and Scotland, things haven't changed. They're still not allowed to travel further than five kilometers. Uh, not allowed to actually uh, see anybody else. So she's, you know, she's coming up to 80 and it was plan was to take her over to Canada this summer because all her best friends still, still live in Toronto. Um, and I think she's just getting 
you know, a bit bit lonely now, if, if I'm yeah. honest. Um, yeah. But but we've been told, you know, if you try and cross the border from England to Wales, you will be fined and you'll be sent home. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, you've got four individual countries underneath the United Kingdom and it's, uh, it's different. We're going to have people joining us with us, Alex, if they're signing up for the show. So, which is great in my yep. books, but just uh, <laughs> FYI, we'll ask everybody to turn off their microphones so that uh, there's no uh, there's no background noise. And if we get to a Q and A, then you can un- unmute and play along. Yeah, got it. I can see it depends morning, on how many Mal. we managed to take over. <laughs> yeah, morning, Mel. Um, okay, cool. Um, yeah, it sounds like you're on the right tracks. Same same over here. Um, and have you have things changed over there with regards to like leaving Canada, like going going to the states, or, or taking any other <laughs> European trips, perhaps? Well, let me. Uh, I, you know, I think you know, I know. I'm pretty confident the border. Well, it's interesting actually, as you dig under it. There's these weird little trap doors and different rules. So driving across the border to the U.S. is you know not not a not a thing. We've largest shared border in the world, and my my understanding. And by the way, there are people more up to speed than I, and I've had my head in the sand. Just uh, you know, so much news uh, it can only keep up uh, so much. Um, anyhow, so uh, my understanding is you cannot drive across the border right now. My understanding, right. strangely, is you cannot do like personal flights, but business flights is like an essential service. So if you're going for business, you can travel, which I don't fully understand. And then, um, and then, uh, but, but mostly, I think it's locked down. Though we have a woman I work with here at FreshBooks, and she uh, she's based in Toronto with us, and just flew home to Portugal. So you can make trips, I guess. Um, but you mm. know, so I'm I'm not. It's it's sort of unclear to me. But by and large, people are staying home and not uh, congregating. We're just rolling out so ten people can be together. So like two families, um, yeah. inside your inner circle. So that's gone from just your family to a second family up to ten people, and uh, we'll see what happens after that. Cool. And, and how has it affected you um, and and being able to? To, to, to work together like what how many um you know employees do you have now and, and where they kind of based and, and how have you managed that so we are about 400 employees um about uh let's go with two-thirds yeah, probably more than that actually but probably like three quarters are based in toronto and then uh, we have an office in amsterdam we have an office in raleigh north carolina and the states we have an office in croatia uh, and then we have uh, a couple people scattered and who just kind of work remotely with us. Um, mm. So that's, that's, those are the sort of a, air quotes, official offices. And um, in terms of how it's affected our ability to work, I, I, it, it was remarkable to me. We went remote, you know, probably the second week of March and uh, did it in about 18 hours. We just said, hey, folks, <laughs> we're, we're going to, on a Thursday, we said we're going to start on a Monday and everyone was there by lunch on Friday. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, just, it just happened. And it was, um, we had a couple little kinks to work out sort of in the first 72 hours and credit to our IT team. It went very, uh, you know, very smoothly. And so we've been, we've been pretty, you know, full on and productive. I, I think what happens is, you, you know, the parents you get into the, the, the same things I think everyone's experiencing. Parents have a hard time because, um, you know, you have parenting to do and that's job number one. And sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, two parents are both trying to work and you're shifting hours. And so that's hard. Um, and you have people who, you know, the longer they're home alone, we have lots of folks who are relatively young and like living in condos and, you know, being self-isolated in a condo for weeks at a time is, you know, it's really not something I'd wish on anyone. And so it's, um, you know, it's just, I mean, I think it's very, 
much what everyone else is experiencing. I'll say, you know, personally, then there's like running the company and leading. I have found um, it just harder to be in touch with um, what people are thinking, feeling, what have you, as you walk the halls and get the temperature uh, of things. Mm. And so, you know, leading and, you know, all company meetings, I, I have felt a little bit out of step with some of those just because the normal sources of information or, or you talk with, you know, 20 people, but you know, 20 of 400 is not enough to really get uh, <laughs> finger on the pulse. So have to work extra hard to go ahead and do that. And I found some ways over the past couple of months to go ahead and, and uh, you know, tr- try and try and do that. But it's, um, yeah, but by and large, we, the operations have been pretty smooth, uh, with, you know, barring me a little hiccup here and there. Yeah, we were talking about this yesterday with a, with a number of different uh, founders as well, and we're saying, you know, where where do you feel with regards to, and I, and I can't stand this word, new normal. Um, just want to get back to the way things are and take some positive lessons that you know during lockdown and integrate them into into the greater world. But um, is, is it made you think about um, how you change uh, working relationships and and where people? Um, actually come to work to change that to offer flexible working well I think I think there's going to be yeah basically two parts um, I think one is people will who work in ta- you know cities towns where there's a headquarters you know will feel you know more comfortable coming in three days a week you know if that's mm-hmm. what they want to do and have two weeks two days working from home and you know I think that's great and many of us at FreshBooks have been kind of operating that way we don't always take it but um, you know like that flexibility has sort of been there in one way or another and then yeah there does seem to be more of an appetite now to have uh, to start exploring you know hiring the best talent wherever they are and, and having them sort of plug into various teams uh, now that we kind of have the infrastructure and the capability to go ahead and do it. And so mostly we were hiring into offices before. The mm-hmm. people who are scattered were were largely people who'd worked with us before and had to move for family reasons. Uh, and so now right. we'll start, start sort of expanding expanding that, I, I believe. Mm. And and for you, that um, personally, uh, business-wise maybe as well, um, what have you been your, your biggest takeaways? And have you looked at this um, yeah, mainly taking the obvious out of it, you know, with COVID-19 and deaths, et cetera. Have you taken it as a, as a positive or, or a negative experience or, or a whole mix of that put together? Well, I think, <clears throat> so for me, I think it's, it's been a, you know, a challenge and I see it as a challenge for everyone in, in one form or another. And obviously there's the health thing. And if we just, to your point, you know, remove that, I, I think it's been hard on people, right? Being isolated, um, in some cases, not really being able to go outside, having the stress of, you know, I was talking with a, you know, this is not a work related thing, but a friend of mine who's, uh, you know, mother of family. And she, you know, she realized one day she was just incredibly snappy and short and stressed. And then she realized it's, oh, because I have to go shopping at 3 p.m. today to get the family groceries. And I, I just, yeah. I don't want to put myself in that environment. And mm. and so it is, um, you know, for these reasons and more, it's it's very stressful. It's very stressful, and I found working, you know, on Zoom all the time, frankly, to deplete me in ways that, you know, even even the telephone does not, right? And when you're 8 a.m. to sort of 6.30 p.m. on a Zoom call for like three months, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit much. Uh, and yeah. so, um, yeah, I think there's different things. What, what I like about it is, um, and this is going to sound, uh, I want to see if I can land this in the way it's intended. Um, but what I like about it is everybody's in it together. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's, I feel like there's a lot of people and dare I say, even you know, generations who haven't really, and I maybe throw myself in that, that hopper um, 
haven't really had to go through anything like this where we need to sort of come together as, you know, you know, whether a global or a country or regional and, and just do the right thing. Mm. Uh, and I think that that is actually, um, I hope that's a lesson a lot of people take from this is like, Hey, together, we're all trying to do the right thing. You know, mostly I don't want to go out, you know, less cause I'm concerned for my own health, but I don't want to affect someone else. And that to mm. me is, you know, I, I see a lot of people with that mindset and, you know, and perhaps even more evolved ones than that. But, but uh, you know, that's a, that, that to me is a very, a very good thing. So I'm hopeful there will be um, some, some good communityness. lots of people walking in their neighborhoods and getting to know them in ways they never had before. Cause they've gone around the block, like, you know, 30 times. <laughs> yeah. something to do. So I, I think, I think there'll be some unintended, you know, benefits that come out of this. Um, but time will tell. Yeah, it's, it's funny, like we, I don't know if you had it in, in Canada as well, like the, the clap for carers and like every Thursday at 8 p.m. everybody would leave mm. their house, stand on the street and, and clap for the uh, for the carers, you know, the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, etc. And, um, you know, our, our street, we live down a little lane with like a, a woods opposite and there's only like six houses, and but it, it, it kind of moves into a broader street with maybe another 60 houses. And it's funny, we've now got like a, a WhatsApp group, you know, this is like embracing new technology and... Mm. You know, no matter how old people are on the street, everybody's on the group and everyone's communicating. And it's literally like every day people are like offering things. I'll, I'll go to the shops for you. If you can't leave the house, I've got more eggs. Does anybody want any eggs today? And you think things like that would never have happened, you know, if we yeah. hadn't, you know, like you, I've never experienced anything in, in my lifetime. But I think, um, you know, those are the positives. And then equally, you know, I, I, I don't know how you see this and I'm kind of delving into, into other ranges, but popped into my head listening to a podcast today from an American and, and, and you know, just looking at the, the race riots and, and that kind of, you know, level. And, and I saw some, some reports in Canada that that's been happening as well. And do, do you think mm-hmm. some of that is, is frustration of being locked indoors? Or do you think that's just more, more deep rooted than that? It's um, it's it's more deep rooted and exacerbated by. It would be my, yeah, my two cents. Yeah. I'm no I'm no expert, but um, mm. no, those these are very deep rooted, very serious you know problems, and they're not just U.S. problems. They're you know no. they're they're UK. They're 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 everywhere, and um, you know, and I think you know in the bucket of you know hopefully good things come of this is I hope more people learn more about you know the nature and depth of those issues and. And mm. we all start to become a little, you know, more sensitive and, and aware and, and things change to kind of uh, move us past this, this long period of structural racism. Mm. And, and, you know, talking frustration in, in, in it from a completely different angle. But, you know, I read, uh, you know, when you when you started FreshBooks, that came from a place of frustration initially. Um, <laughs> but unlike most people, you maybe did something about it. You know, most most people don't. They just kind of live with it and uh, try different iterations of things. But um, can you tell us a little bit more about, about the motivation and, you know, where, where that frustration came from and what, what you actually did about it, Mike? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, uh, so what's the, what's the, the best way to get into this today? So I, you know, I, I basically had a, a, a moment where I snapped, I, I was running a small, uh, design agency and using word and Excel to build my clients, which is pretty common for small professional services firms, especially back then. This is like 2003. 
And um, I opened up an old invoice and I, uh, because I was going, I was sending a new invoice to an existing client. Their address was in there. I put in the new information. I saved the file. And um, I forgot to rename the file. That was the the method. You got to rename the file. And so Mm. I overwrote, overwrote the prior records. And I said, you know, there just has to be a better way to do this. And uh, I said it with more oomph. I was like, and so I, I spent a couple of weeks and I had been sort of learning software development um, and building web applications and things like this. And you know, very early days for those technologies at all. But um, I built something to build my clients and, and that was the start. And I really built it for myself to scratch my own itch. And then over time realized other people might like this and, and be able to benefit from it. And, and uh, you know, the rest, as they say, is, is history. Yeah. And did you, uh, at the start, um, was fundraising part of your, your strategy or did you just, you know, it's me, I'm, I'm working with Excel and so I'm just going to bootstrap this as far as I can go? Well, I, I wish I could tell you that I was sophisticated enough to even, you know, make the question that simple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say it like this was, hey, I'm really passionate about the project. You know, I didn't start by focusing on the need for more capital. Um, when that came, we did talk to some angel groups and things like this. And, and um, you know, the punchline is pretty soon I realized I didn't know a lot of things. And if you think about venture capital investing in the early 2000s, it really was a massive game of information arbitrage where in many cases, VCs just took advantage of the entrepreneurs that they could take advantage of. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you were sophisticated and you came out of the business world and had 20 years experience and, you know, maybe worked on some M&A deals, you were, you were kind of, you know, fighting a, a fair fight, if you will. But certainly in Toronto, um, you know, the venture capital community just, just preyed on people not, not knowing anything and wrote some really bad deals. And so I was aware of this, you know, hey, got the name Vulture Capital for a bunch of reasons. And, and so I was, I, was, I was just kind of like, you know, very concerned that we would lose control of the company. And then, you know, things like, you know, the quality of service we would add offer customers would be impacted. And so, so I say all this to say, hey, it wasn't obvious to me that I wanted to raise venture capital. And, um, you know, despite loving my project. And so what we ended up doing was, um, you know, sort of self-funding it for a bunch. I had my agency. Uh, we raised a little bit of money from like friends and families, like 50K kind of thing that kept us mm-hmm. going. So nothing too serious. And then eventually, you know, as I continued to network and try and meet mentors, met, you know, some angels who, um, you know, wrote a little more money, but like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then, and then um, you know, 10 years in, um, we ended up raising venture. Uh, and at that stage, we were a little past the early stage venture, more growth growth stage, which was probably better alignment for my mindset uh, anyhow, which longer file. But that, that was, it was, mm. it was a little bit of a progressive thing where I, I realized I needed to go and learn and have a little more of a, I needed to understand venture capitalists and investing and what their aims are and how their model works to make sure that, hey, do we have good alignment here if you get involved? And, you know, do we have relatively even information? And did you at that point um, look within uh, North America or were you, you looking further, further afield? Because it can be, you know, the amount of, I've talked to hundreds of founders and, and so many people say to me, it actually becomes a full-time job, you know, fundraising, you know, whether it's somebody else takes on that responsibility, but often, you know, as you, the business owner, um, like, you know, the points you've made, you, you, you want to retain however much control you can, you can keep hold of and you want it for the best reasons, don't you? 
Yeah, well, it all it all depends. I, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think you want to have the mindset if you're raising venture, if you want to have a smaller piece of a bigger pie. And I yeah. think I think I had that mindset. I was more concerned around kind of like the controls and what would happen to customer experience. And I just didn't, you know, I was just concerned about completely losing the ability to look out for the customer and become very draconian and, you know, just all the worst, the dark clouds. You know, I had a lot of dark clouds yeah. around it. Um, so, you know, with regards to it being a full-time job, I, I think one place where we were, you know, incredibly privileged was we were out there and we did a fairly good job kind of marketing and got, got caught up in web 2.0, if, if you remember that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, people, people were calling us. And so I took all those calls and I just used them to learn. And I was just like, you know, I was like, you know, please explain to me. <laughs> like I literally, all these poor VCs are explaining their model and how they were different. But like I just use them as educational, you know, sort of experiences, and um, you know, for better or for worse. And that's how. And so, you know, after you do a hundred of those, you start to kind of you know catch up. And I was, and then progressively, also all kinds of information came online, like like venture hacks and things like that. But the point is, in terms of the actual time. I took calls as they came in. And then when it came time for us to raise capital, I kind of knew who I wanted to work with because I'd already spoken with them three, four, five times over the years, uh, mm-hmm. built a mm-hmm. relationship and said, okay, this is, we don't want to speak with these people. And we do want to speak with these people. And uh, we were fortunate to be able to raise capital with uh, some of those folks in the end. And for those who are you know, going down that route, and we've had a lot, a lot of people uh, doing, doing the live webinars who are in that position, um, any, any advice, you know, look, looking back now in, in the new climate, I and mean, there's still, at the end of the day, the same amount of money out there. It's just trying to access that money and, you know, like you said, how much control you retain, how much additional um, advice you want to receive from people as well, whether it's like a hands-on, hands-off kind of deal. Uh, anything like looking back that you do differently or, or any advice that you, you take from that period? Well, so a couple, couple thoughts is <clears throat> if you've never raised money before, um, there's a very good chance you want to start with angels. So trying to network your way into angels is a good place to begin. And they're generally, you know, Hey, like, you know, if you find the right angels, you know, ideally also if you're building a technology company, maybe you are, maybe you aren't, but trying to find angels from within your industry. And these are people who've had a lot of success. You know, they're prepared to write a very risky check. You know, they can absorb the loss if it doesn't happen, but they're hoping they can make a lot of money if it does. And so so that's their mindset and orientation. And, and if you find people um, and they take a shine to you, they will generally become advisors who can help you then raise capital if you're going to raise venture capital later, because that's like a professional job and it's a different, different thing. And you want to have somebody writing sidecar to give you guidance. I'd also say to the extent you can find a good, you know, early stage startup law firm or lawyer probably, you know, pay dividends. And I'll go ahead and say, you know, legals were our largest expense for like the first seven years of the business. And we didn't have any lawsuits against us or anything. It's just, wow. you know, it was more than servers and stuff because lawyers are, are kind of expensive. So, so do, do factor that in, but, but get some, some good help. We had a generalist lawyer. I would encourage you to get like an early stage venture capital lawyer who is on your side and can kind of balance things out a bit. But um, so those would be some of the preliminary thoughts. <clears throat> and then I'd say, go and go and read up. Like one thing that was not true when I got started was the information was all out there on the internet. Today, it's all out there on the internet. So go read Venture Hacks, go go follow, you know, there's a hundred websites that'll tell you about deal terms and structure and, you know, how to negotiate and all this kind of thing. And, um, you know, what, what the, the good news is the information is, is more balanced. There's more information symmetry versus the asymmetry and arbitrage that was there before. 
And, um, and so you can become educated if you spend the time on it. And then, um, and I would, I would strongly encourage you to do it because uh, there's that, but that also like, there's just, there's kind of like plain vanilla standard terms for things now. So you probably, if your opportunity is, you know, as exciting as, you know, if it truly is exciting. And by the way, even articulating it is hard to do. Sometimes you haven't done it before, but if it Mm -hmm. is, then, you know, you you should expect reasonably standard terms at the early stages for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for those, you know, majority of people are going to be listening to this um, in the UK at the moment until we, until we put it out into the podcast, which is now 143 countries of people, you know, all over the world can be listening to this. But what I will say is, um, you know, again, one of the positives, I suppose, that to come out of uh, lockdown in the UK has been the different schemes that the governments have, have put together to help people. And a friend of mine, for example, has raised three million and the government have just match funded it three million because they've got this future fund uh, you know, to try and regenerate the economy. So those of you who are listening, watching this and, uh, you know, are in fundraising, definitely do your due diligence and, and, and see what else is is out there. Um Mike, when I was, I was reading up, um, obviously I'd heard of Fresh Books many times uh, beforehand and reading up a little bit more about yourself. Um, I read that you said um, it'll take you twice as long to get where you want to get to, cost twice as much money, and that you'll run a totally different business when you get there. Um, have your views changed since you, uh, you articulated that and, and what formed those views? No, I, I think it's, it's um, <clears throat> you know, the entrepreneurial mindset is, hey, hey, it's just around the corner. So, you know, you have vision. I guess the part I probably didn't add to that is in the business you can build is probably 10 times bigger than you thought. Yeah. <laughs> so it'll like take it. you twice like as it. long. Nice. It'll cost you twice as much, but it, you know, you might be able to build something 10 times as big as you even imagined at the outset. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least that, you know, for me, that's the, that's the case. So, <clears throat> um, um, so no, I wouldn't say my views have changed, but you know, back to the entrepreneurial mindset is, you know, I, you know, I don't want to generalize too badly, but if I think about the entrepreneurial mindset, it's, you know, Hey, problem solvers, Hey, I can see the future. I can see where I want to get to at least as a next step or maybe three down the road. And, you know, when you're there and by the way, if like, it feels closer than it really is. And if it wasn't like that, you, you know, everyone would just give up. Like you just yeah, go. Yeah. So, so I think there's, there's great benefits to this, but you know, in the end it will inevitably cost more and take longer. Uh, and that is, um, that is just to be expected. So, you know, you know, you'll write the first version of how much revenue you're going to make and how much it's going to cost you. And it's like, you know, divide the revenue by two, double the costs and, and, uh, you know, the timeline, <laughs> and they're probably much, much closer to, uh, how, how things will really play out. And can you, you know, look back when, when, when you started and, um, remember what the goal was uh the, you know the the overreaching goal did you have you know like one kind of like you know guiding light that you think this is the ultimate goal that i want to get to and, and how has that changed over you know many years is it, is it just constantly moved um <clears throat> so you know i think when i got started the notion of building a business that generated a million dollars in revenue blew my mind right because i had yep. never worked anywhere else you know and this was subscription revenue too so a little little harder than than some businesses to get to a million dollars so so that that just seemed like a very big business and i think it was i think literally we wrote down like it was like seventeen thousand customers and we'd get a million bucks and, and it basically turned out you know, something roughly close to that, or maybe it was 10 million. I can't remember. And that was, you know, sort of mind boggling territory for me. Um, you know, over time you've gone on and you start to realize, Hey, the art of the possible and how high is up and, and you can sort of 
keep keep going. And so, uh, you know, I think this is a what I will say about this. This has been part of my entrepreneurial journey personally. <clears throat> Everyone, everyone's different. Some people can go and say, you know, they'll say things like, and they'll believe, and you know, hey, this is a billion dollar opportunity. Some people just say that stuff. Some people can see it and, and sort of know it. I, I, you know, maybe. Maybe it's a little more, I don't know if I want to call it conservative or whatever. It's like directionally, I can see it a lot of runway, but I really struggled to figure out how big it could be. And I had this one angel who was like, Mike, how big do you think this thing can be? And I'd always be like, I don't know, two or three times bigger than today. And he would just be like, keep going. And, and what he knew was it could be like 100 you know, 200, 400 times bigger than it was. Um, but, uh, but, you know, and so he just encouraged me to keep going and supported me in a, a bunch of different ways. Um, and so it was very helpful to have somebody with that kind of conviction around me uh, to just kind of keep going. And now, you know, I, you know, my, over time, I learned how to see and believe and, you know, and, it, it, and, and, and I think part of my not knowing and reluctance to hang, you know, a big number or any clarity on this was you're learning how to do so many things at once. You got to learn how to market a product. You got to build a product. You got to build a team. You got to raise capital. It's like, you know, the number of dimensions that you're trying to wrestle down as a, you know, as an entrepreneur and maybe a, a founder who may or may not have, you know, I think if you come from large company operating experience, some of this stuff gets a little easier because you get some pattern recognition if you don't, then you probably have none, and you're going to be learning a lot on a lot of vectors. And so, anyways, that that certainly influenced my ability to make you know declarative statements. But um, but uh, anyhow, then then you keep going, and you know you you can you can go pretty far apparently. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, you can. And you know, for those who um, and, and maybe you know from your point of view now, like when you you, you say you know you control you know marketing, HR, etc. What do you think that you could still become better at? And you know, are you one of these people who beats yourself up and think we well, could do better at everything, or, or you, you know, do you, do you come from a, a pretty confident space when it might be you know marketing, for example, or HR, or, yeah. or do you you know identify your kind of obvious ones? And go, do you know what we could be doing better than that. So I think I, I come from the, you know, beat myself up across the board school of, uh, <laughs> and, right. and by the way, Kate, Katie, if you'd be so kind as to place uh, mute on your, uh, your screen, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, <clears throat> the, um, uh, where am I going with this? So, so I, you know, I, I believe we can improve. We literally have a, a value. We're a values driven company. We call it stretch and it's like, you know, we're leaders and we don't settle. We're constantly working on our craft and finding ways to improve. So, so that is, that's baked into the, the business and probably part of what's helped us be successful. Um, having said that, what I've also learned is, you know, you, your strength today will be weak tomorrow hmm. and your weakness today will be your strength tomorrow. And, um, you know, that's a really hard thing. Like I, you know, and it's a three year pendulum sometimes. So let's say, you know, your product development efforts are great today. In three years, they may not be any longer. Let's say your marketing yeah. efforts are terrible today. They, you know, that's been my experience is it, it just swings. And, um, you know, it's, 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 you know, organizations are kind of fluid. They're not, um, you know, they're not, they're not fixed and it's not obvious to people. So I do think we have some strong DNA in some areas, which has probably helped us over the years. Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the pendulum does, does swing. <laughs> um, and so this is interesting. When I, when I was doing some, some research, um, how did you come up with the idea for creating um, a competitor company called Bill Spring? And can you um, 
you know, what did you learn or what, what actions did you take? Yes. Yeah, so <clears throat> we did, we did create a secret company to compete with ourselves. And the reason was because, um, we decided that our software, which I had started out and then my other two co-founders, you know, we started out writing just, you know, was basically that the technology itself, we believe was really holding us back after sort of 10, 12 years. And so we said, okay, we're going to go and, and sort of rewrite and replatform. And which is just a huge, it's like an existential question for a software company. And it comes with a, a whole bunch of hairballs. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you write the next version of the software and people don't like it as much. I don't know if you've mm. ever downloaded an, up, an upgrade from, you know, yeah, like if yeah. you think about going from, you know, my favorite is like XP to Vista. That's the most relatable one for a lot of people these days. Mm. Um, that was not progress, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, I, remember. I remember, yeah. Yeah. And so, so you know, soft, they don't always go well. Um, anyhow, so there are a whole bunch of reasons why it's just a hard problem, even with your existing customer base. Also, it takes longer, all these things. And so, and then like even economically, whether people like it or not, you're making this investment to progress as a business. Ideally, they like it a lot better, um, but at least it should be more performant on the business side as well. And so, you know, the team inside the business is going to fall in love with the new project mostly or it's often the case, certainly was the case mm. in our case. And, and so how do you stay intellectually honest when, you know, love is involved? And that's, that's not easy. And so we created this separate company called Billspring and we put it out and it was our new offering. And we, you know, there was no way to kind of connect the two. And we had people signing up for a com effectively a competitive, competitive offering. And, and we, we, we did that until we got to a place where we saw, hey, this can work and, you know, instrumented it in a way to know, we know what we have here. Let's make this the thing that people sign up, sign up for. And then we did some creative things too. We didn't force people to move to the new offering. Uh, we thought okay. that would be, um, we thought that would be, um, in, in hindsight, it was a, a great thing because the new offering really wasn't ready for some of our more established customers. So we, we held off and let people choose to go over and we would help them go back if they didn't like it as much. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, but then over time built out the new offering to be, you know, superior, uh, which is where we, where we sit today. Cool. Um, and finishing up a couple of questions, like um, personally yourself and, and, and the way you work, um, how do you, you structure your day? I mean, I've, I've spoken to so many people um, during, during the lockdown, founders, different companies, and, you know, with all of the flexibility would be one word, all of the challenges we've had about, you know, working differently, working remotely. Do you have, you know, set routines where you kind of bookend your day? This is how you start. These are like rituals, routines, whatever you'd call them. Um, or, or, you know, has your working day changed completely over the last, say, eight, nine weeks, uh, Mike? Well, let me, uh, let me just, I'll just bring you on the journey here. So <clears throat> I've literally been doing, um, on Zoom from about 8 a.m. till about 6, 6.30, um, which is, you know, five days a week for, you know, 10 weeks or whatever it's been. Um, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm on vacation this week. I told you I wanted to honor this because it was uh, booked. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Apologies to everybody for all the technical difficulties. I, I can't account for, uh, account for them. But, you know, with regards to my schedule, I, I, I don't, I don't have that. It, it's funny when I worked at home years ago, getting the fresh books and my agency started, I was very disciplined. Now, you know, at this scale, you're running a 400 person company. Like a lot of the things I attend are sort of pre-booked and pre-understood and they just mm -hmm. kind of roll. 
And so, um, so I kind of just inherit that and I, I go through my day. But one thing I am doing um, is uh, work right now, trying to work my schedule to nine to five because I have three children under the age of five. And, um, you know, it is just, it's kind of, I've decided after 10 weeks, it's sort of not working. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. I, I've got to, I just got to, you know, be more militant and, and work a little less and make that work. So that's, that's probably mm. the biggest change for this coming out of this, because there's just no ability to recuperate. And if you're on calls for 10 and a half hours a day, um, stuck at a screen, staring at it, it's, it's um, anyways, and, you know, it's got to balance the family life and all those kinds of things. So that's, uh, you know, I even miss, I'll go ahead and say, this for a second like I miss you know I walk it takes about 20 minutes to get to and from work and I, I walk um, when we go to the office like there's no transition time like you hang up mm. zoom call 10 and a half hours and it's like dinner bedtime routine like it's yeah <laughs> I'm not complaining I'm just saying it's uh you know so so hence the uh, I'm, I'm shortening my thing and uh making sure I take more time off the next while yeah it's funny isn't it I'm, I'm saying that I said you know I thought I was busy before and now, again, I'm not saving a massive amount on my commute, but again, it's like 20 to 30 minutes, but other stuff fills that space. And before you know it, you know, I've kind of created an office in our, in our front room and my, my kids are a little bit older. They're at 11 and 13 and one's gone back to school because she's going to high school in September. Um, and the other one's a teenager just, uh, you know, working from, working from home and pretty self-sufficient. So I can imagine it's pretty tough with, with three under five. I vaguely remember those days, but, um, you know, I find again that I've, I've just carried on working, you know, um, and, and all of a sudden that like last night I was like, do you know what? I only see my kids at the weekend now, you know, let's go, you know, I was like, what's my daughter doing? Oh, she's on her phone, you know, literally just got a phone for the first time six months ago. I was like, right, let's get outside, get in the garden and let's throw the football around, you know, and it's just acknowledging that really I found, uh, and you know, like you say, things aren't working because it's a real energy suck, isn't it? Doing just these all the time. I and mean, you're not getting stuff back. Like if it be a live environment or one-to-one or a one-to-many environment, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no, I find the, the restorative aspect is not there. It's all going energy going out and very little that's kind of coming back. And even the, you know, the 20 minutes again, to and from work to just kind of like chill out and you know, transition before you go home so you can be home. Right. Like it's like, yeah. there's no, there's none of that. So anyhow, that's, uh, that's part of my, uh, my lessons learned thus far. Nice. Um, it, just to finish up then, um, cu- a couple of quick questions for you is, um, first of all, what are you excited about most at the moment? If you've been working on anything new or is there stuff coming in like Q3, Q4, or even start next year? Cause I'm assuming you might have tinkered with dates and stuff over the last mm. couple of months, like a lot of people. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, first thing, uh, set context, I, you know, as a rule, don't do any forward looking statements uh, with regards to what is coming. But I, I will say we have an incredible amount of uh, we, we've just we've really, you know, we've grown the team sort of more than 50 percent in the last sort of 12, 14 months. And so we have a wow. greater capability to go ahead and invest and build stuff out. So we have a ton of product coming down the road. And then on top of that, you know, I, I've sort of worked my way over the last 12 months into a world where I'm really focused on, you know, literally spending my time on the 18 month plus aspect to, to building out our business. And so, you know, I, I'm spending a lot of time in that future state and it's, it's a ton of fun. Uh, and I'm, mm. I'm super excited about it. And so we've got, uh, you know, we've got a lot of investing we're doing right now and a lot of support from 
from our board and all these other kinds of things to go ahead and just build a whole lot more for, for a whole bunch of people. And so I think it's just the sheer size, scale, velocity of all that is to come that is, uh, that is exciting. And I look forward to, you know, sharing more as we, as we launch it and release it to our customers. Awesome. I look forward to following, uh, following your progress on that front. Um, and just to finish up then, uh, you know, for, for those who, started a business in, in the last couple of years or you know again met people who started businesses literally during lockdown and found that it's it's not as easy as they thought it might be and, and maybe they they doubt themselves um mm. do you do you still doubt yourself um have you doubted yourself in the past when you, you, you look at what you've achieved so far and you look what you want to achieve yeah so i think one of the things that goes with being you know an entrepreneur a founder however you want to frame it is, um, you know, at least part of my experience, you know, forever, you know, today and tomorrow for sure, uh, is, uh, what do we call this thing? There's a, a complex that we want to talk about, um, which is uh, self-judgmental, and the word is just escaping me. But oh, like um, imposter syndrome, something yeah, like that. Yeah, imposter syndrome. There yeah, we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things to just go ahead and accept is it's part of your job, you know, to just go ahead and accept that you have this and um, it's actually probably healthy because it'll keep you hopefully grounded and a little bit humble. Like if you didn't have that, you know, given the number of things you probably don't know, um, mm. that would be, that would be, you know, very wrong. Um, and so, <clears throat> um, so yeah, so imposter syndrome is, you know, part of it. And, and as you learn it, you know, it takes on different forms and happens in different forums, but um, it is, uh, you know, it is, is part of the deal. And I think, I think of, you know, managing your own head is going to be your biggest challenge, right? You know, wanting to give up, you know, you know, to me, it's like so much of success starting a company is just not giving up, just hanging in like one more round. Um, <laughs> and, and then, yeah. you know, you do that like eight times and you're like, I thought I was dead. And now we've got a breakthrough going on. And mm. I think, I think that's the, um, I think people kind of want what they see as the trappings on the other side. They, they, in some cases, don't appreciate how hard even the people who've reached a size and scaled success are working on how many dimensions and how not like it, hey, it looks, looks great, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. you got to, you, you, it's, it's always work, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. the, the thing is, can you do it in a way that, you know, it doesn't feel like a job and you're getting things back, right? And you might be, you know, I've had to, you know, I call it, there's times in my life and it's not even every year, but sometimes it's for like many quarters you know, you get on the narrow path and all you can do is look at getting to the other side of it and really not contemplating anything else. I just need mm -hmm. to get to the other side of this thing. And it's like this confluence of things that either are challenging or not in your control or whatever it is. And it's like, okay, seven months from now, I just need to get to the other side and then we'll see what happens and don't think and just go. And so I, I would just encourage you to just, you know, like any journey, the whole thing is putting one foot in front of the other and, and not thinking about much else, right? You're climbing Everest. Yeah, yeah. It's one foot, you know, hopefully you have an oxygen tank. Um, you know, that's uh, just, just keep going. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I decided to run a marathon during, during lockdown, uh, having never done anything like that before. And it literally got to that, that stage, which I always thought was a cliche, but it literally got to the stage in the last few miles going, I literally just need to lift my right knee, put it down, lift my left knee, put it down. And I just thought I can really relate that to uh, the business journey as well. <laughs> 100%.
Uh, well, listen, Mike, um, taking up a lot of your time, you're, you're away on vacation and you've got three kids under the age of five, so you're going to have a, an action-packed day, no doubt. <laughs> uh, but the sun is shining, I can see, uh, and you're in a beautiful part of the world. So, um, again, really appreciate your time. Thank you for switching over to your, your Zoom platform. Um, thank you, those who came over. Uh, I know we lost the majority, um, but we, like I said, we're putting this out on the Screw It, Just Do It podcast um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, and this will be coming out to everybody in 143 countries at the moment. So we're excited to um, to share your story and, and learnings, you know, over the last two or three months, especially. So thank you for your time. Alex, thanks for having me. Uh, and thanks for persevering through all the technical challenges. Yeah. Okay. Likewise. Great to be here. Okay. Stay safe. Okay. You too. Bye. Bye now. So hope you enjoyed that episode with Mike as much as I did. Um, I was actually brought up in Canada, as you heard during that. I literally left the UK when I was uh, something like three months old, I think it says on my birth certificate, um, over in a place called, um, well, near Toronto is probably the easiest place to, uh, for reference for everybody listening. But uh, chatted to Mike, who was up in the lakes there when I chatted to him. And we covered, as you heard, a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, you know, number of things we can talk about today. Uh, as he says, you know, all the information is available out there online. There's never been more information out there on how to start and scale a business. So you just got to read, read, read. Um, I wholly subscribe to that myself. I'm an avid, voracious reader and podcast listener um, and try and utilize my time, you know, with my headphones in whilst I'm doing other stuff, traveling, etc. Um, it's a great way to save, li- you know, literally 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. If you're not doing it, um, you know, maximize your time as much as you can. And as he says, taking it one step at a time, one day at a time, just hanging on. Success of a business is really about never giving up. And, you know, those of you who regularly listen to the show should know that. I've got so many examples of people who never gave up, never took no for an answer, uh, just kept turning up every day. Consistency and persistency, as I mentioned only a couple of Saturdays ago in a solo episode. Um, and the other one I liked, which I'll mention again here, is learning to accept that your strength today is your weakness tomorrow and vice versa. The way you can adjust the situations and adapt to changes. So that's something worth thinking about. You know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses right now? What can you do to address uh, your weaknesses so that they become your strengths tomorrow? Whilst obviously keeping a steady hand on what your strengths are right now. So hope you enjoyed that. Um, Thanks for listening as always. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. <laughs>